Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to the seventh episode of my weekly podcast, Writing Through the Pain. This is your host and Winnipeg multidisciplinary artist, Ingrid D. Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me as I discuss, explore, and discover what facing and slowly healing after the trauma of childhood sexual abuse looks like in several areas of adult life. Thank you for choosing to go on this healing journey with me. Would you like to show your support for this podcast? Then please subscribe, leave a tip in any amount, or become a monthly sponsor by contributing $5 or more a month through our PayPal link. The link is www.paypal.com forward slash paypalme forward slash ITC sponsorship. In return, you will receive a quarterly newsletter, a download code to my album Visions and Dreams, and 10% discount off all new In the Closet Productions products and services. Every dollar contributed will be used to produce inspiring original music, live music shows, speaking engagements, this podcast, and other creative projects that helps to draw awareness to the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Thank you so much for your wonderful support. And now, part seven of my story, my recollection of my time living in the child welfare system after my apprehension at age 12. Bob and Mark Sanders were my very first set of foster parents in the system. Mark was a social worker and Bob was like a stay-at-home dad. I say this because I don't remember him ever having a day or night job outside of the house. His job seemed to be looking after us, the foster kids. The Saunders had three grown children of their own who still lived at home. So when I first arrived at their house, I really liked living there because I felt like they were one big happy family. This made me feel safe. But after a few weeks of living there, I started to feel homesick, and Bob didn't seem as loving towards me and my foster sisters. Then there was a time when my foster sisters and I were a bit late for curfew. We got home, and Bob was really mad. He was so mad that he called us all sluts. I was so shocked by what he said that I decided right there and then that Bob and Mark Sanders, they were not people I wanted to live with because I no longer felt safe in their house, where a grown man could call teenage girls sluts. So I immediately called my social worker and was out of there by the end of the week. My grandmother decided to take me into her home, and everything was going really well with her, but not well with my auntie and younger uncle, who also lived with her too. My auntie was 16, and I was 13, and in her mind, I was nothing but a nuisance crowding up her space. The claustrophobic birdcage called her bedroom, where I barely had any space to call my own. My auntie did not like me, and made that no secret to me. She was always accusing me of staring at her and copying her style, which I never did, while her little brother and my younger uncle had no problem stealing money from me whenever I was foolish enough to leave some of my allowance lying around. It was not easy living with them. In fact, I felt I was better off living with strangers instead of my own family, who seemed to lack any real expression of warmth and unconditional love. So after a year and a few months, I was moved to another foster home because my auntie and I just couldn't get along. Foster homes weren't a joy. I moved into several but never stayed at any long. 
Belinda, my foster mom, and Russell, my foster dad, were my next set of foster parents at 15 years old. They seemed really nice at first, but after a few days, they made it crystal clear that talking about the sexual abuse that I had suffered with them was something they weren't comfortable with. I felt angry about that. I mean, how was I supposed to heal if I couldn't talk about the thing that had brought me into their care in the first place? But nevertheless, living with them was better than living with my auntie or mom and my stepdad. One thing that I really liked about living with Belinda and Russell was living with my foster sisters Roxy, Madeline, and Carrie. They became my close friends and almost like my sisters. We all had our problems at home to resolve, and Belinda and Russell's place was our place to resolve them. Roxy was my 15-year-old friend. She was just like me and born in November as well. She was five foot eight and a half inches with curly brown hair and beautiful light brown eyes. She had a nice attitude and really loved listening to heavy metal music. We bonded over our love of cute boys that sometimes made us rivals, while her younger sister, Madeline, was a little bit shorter and had long black hair, dark brown eyes, and a face like Winona Ryder. Madeline and I were wonderful buddies, but at times we could be real enemies as well. But I loved her sense of humor and how smart she was for a 13-year-old girl. Carrie was the oldest out of all of us, but she seemed to struggle with knowing who she really was. She had shoulder-length blonde hair and a very sweet smile, and once we got her out of her shell, she was a lot of fun to be with. But sometimes, she would take on the personality of whoever she was hanging out with the longest. Belinda and Russell had five children of their own living in the same house. They had two teenage daughters, Charlene and Betty, and three younger sons, Sammy, Daniel, and Ellie. It was a very busy household, with their kids, us three foster kids, two dogs, and some ferrets that lived in the backyard, but somehow, it all worked. Well, at least for a while. Belinda and Russell had a huge house in the North End, with seven bedrooms, two bathrooms, a creepy basement and attic, with a small front porch and a decent backyard. There were lots of chores to go around, and they had no problem enlisting each of us foster kids to help them. Along with our many chores, there were also several rules for us to follow, but the number one rule was no dating boys until the age of 16. Until then, boys weren't allowed to call their house for us and stuff like that, and on the weekends we were always invited to their version of church, which they called Kingdom Hall. They were Jehovah Witnesses, but I was raised Baptist and decided to stick to that after visiting their church and not feeling comfortable at all. Secretly, Roxy was dating a Métis boy named Jason, who lived behind our house. They had been seeing each other for quite a while, but one day they got in a huge fight and broke up. Then a week later, he started paying attention to me and decided to ask me out. Roxy told me she didn't care if we dated, and since I liked him, when he asked me, I said yes. Jason was my first Métis boyfriend, although we never kissed, held hands, or even fooled around. But after we broke up two weeks later, I really wish we had. I couldn't mention Jason around the house because I was only 15 years old and dating wasn't allowed. I also didn't want to upset Roxy because deep down inside I knew she still liked him and he was only trying to make her jealous by dating me. By the time Jason and I broke up, Roxy and I had a wedge between us. We both despised each other because we both liked Jason, but he was crazy about her and lukewarm about me. This made me sad and to comfort myself, I remember spending hours listening to Technotronic songs slow. 
The lyrics just screamed Jason's name all over them and the pain I felt in not being chosen by him. Weeks after we broke up, Roxy and Jason got back together. I slowly got over and began dating Jason's younger brother, Michael. Michael was very nice, but he wasn't my Mr. Right, although we kissed, held hands, and did some private things. So, after a few weeks, we also broke up. To be continued. You've been listening to Writing Through the Pain. This is actually a book that I'm writing. And so it's retelling some of the memories, the stories, the moments, and of course now my current adult reflections on those times under the, what word am I seeking? Um, under, I guess, the, the microscope of dealing with the impact of childhood sexual abuse during those times and leading up to my adulthood. So, in a sense, I started this podcast to reach out to people that have gone through childhood sexual abuse, but also as a way to help myself to write my own story. Um, And that's why I called it Writing Through the Pain. So each week, I'm going to continue to share some of my book that I'm writing. Not all of it, but parts of it. And that's why sometimes the segments are so short. And also sometimes um, I'll share my own reflections and then have interviews that have to deal with the parts of my story that I'm sharing. So bear with me. This has been a journey of discovery and it will continue to be. Um, But I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Um, I'm learning so much and it's reminding me of things I'd forgotten in my past. And things that actually shaped my upbringing behind besides the trauma so I hope you are getting something good out of it that it is entertaining it is informative it is inspiring I mean as it goes on I hope it will be more inspiring for you but um, I want to thank you for your support for listening and for allowing me to share my story through this medium so um, please share it with your friends please um, continue to listen and thank you for kind of in a way being um, my support when I'm writing a book that I've struggled to write I've wanted to write this book forever but I've always had writer's block and I don't know why probably because of all the things that I'm gonna share but um, I wanted to do this so thank you for helping me to do this and um, for your patience So I hope the journey continues and I hope you stick with me. Thank you so much. I know there's lots of podcasts out there that you can listen to, but I'm grateful that you're listening to this one and I hope you continue to listen. Thank you so much. Did you like the seventh episode? Then stay tuned for the next episode of Writing Through the Pain, My Story Continued, every Wednesday evening. 
If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues, family members, acquaintances, and friends. After all, you never know who this podcast might speak to, inspire, uplift, inform, or help to break their silence about an incident or incidents of childhood sexual abuse in their lives. To leave a message about an episode of this podcast, or to become a potential guest on the show, please message me at anchor.fm forward slash Ingrid D. Johnson forward slash message. Thank you again for listening, guys. Thank you for supporting my mission. Good night and God bless you, my friends.